Our parsha opens with the following explanation for the Makos. So that you will tell your children how I mocked Mitzrayim. What an interesting statement from Hashem. Mockery and ridicule of one's opponents is not a concept we generally associate with Judaism, and is certainly not a behavior we attribute to Hashem. How can we harmonize this noxious notion of demeaning the other with Hashem's elevated benevolent being? The key to this enigma lays in a statement of the sages which teaches that there is one appropriate usage of mockery. As the Gemara says, All mockery is forbidden except when directed towards idolatry. Mockery lives on the exposure of inconsistency, the dissonance between the supposed virtue of a subject and the reality of its unworthiness. Mockery, therefore, is to be askewed because there is almost nothing in the world which is totally devoid of merit, as the Mishnah says in Avos. You have no person who does not have his time and no thing which does not have its place. Idolatry, however, is a total fraud which elevates an imposter to a level of veneration. When society gives credence to an idea that is totally off the mark, mockery is an appropriate tactic to expose the incongruity between the presumption and the reality. This is what mockery of Paro is all about. It is Leitzanusa of It is mockery of an idol. Because we know Chazal the sages tell us that Paro deified himself as a god sought to exude an image of God-like power to his people. But it's more than that. Paro, in his position and role as the great tyrant, the epitome of wickedness and evil, exemplifies the false notion that man can defy Hashem, the loving God, with impunity implying as though there is a counterforce of evil, dueling with Hashem, the God of good, chas v'shalom. Ramchal teaches that this notion of a counterforce of evil is the greatest, most noxious form of avodah More than the idolatrous fascination with sticks and stones, this core distortion props up evil as a separate existential force in man's consciousness. It takes the phenomenon of suffering which pervades the human condition and elevates it to the level of a real power that duels with Hashem. Insidiously, it exploits man in his most vulnerable state, misusing man's desperate longing to understand that which seems so random and incomprehensible. This is the Avodah Zarah, the idolatry of evil, which the Makos come to target. The Makos not only punish, but serve to provocatively reveal the fallacy of an independent god of evil, using mockery in its only appropriate application. Hashem dramatically debunks the idolatrous myth that wickedness is a power that might ultimately prevail. Mocking Paro, as Hashem mentions, is not a cliche or toss-off expression. Deeper study of the Mako story 
will bring a magnificent pattern to light. We can trace the underlying thread of ridicule that Hashem weaves into the Makos, and we will be able to see a dramatic, grand comedy taking shape. Once we see it, the lively comedy will jump off the page and Paul smiling into the story. The Makos story consists largely of an intense vacillation on Pyro's part. At first, he contends, I do not know Hashem, nor will I let B'nai Yisrael go. Then under the pressure of the Makos, he revokes these very statements by acknowledging Hashem and promising B'nai Yisrael's freedom. Pray to Hashem and I will send out the people. When he senses relief, he reverts back to his original stance, only to backtrack once again onto the next wave of Makos. And so the cycle continues. Why does Hashem put up with this indecisive back and forth? Isn't the here we go again so clear? It could almost seem that Pyro is playing the system on a patient God who puts up with his shenanigans. But in truth, it is not Pyro who's playing with God, but just the opposite. Hashem is playing with Pyro. Hashem has the great ruler on a string which he tightens and loosens at his will. We would say today that he is yanking Pyro's chain. The result is that Pyro swings like a pendulum. In the winds of events he cannot control. How remarkable and eye-opening this, might be, this must be to his court and the population that has always conceived of him as the directing power in their lives. Pyro's wavering fluctuation is exactly what Hashem wants to demonstrate for all to see. Suddenly, Pyro's godlike facade starts to crack and crumble. The Maku story is a colossal display of Pyro's malleability as he writhes under Hashem's pressure. Against this backdrop, we can sense that with each passing Maku, Pyro's resistance to Hashem becomes progressively sillier and futile in the eyes of his own people. His own inner circle of servants challenges him. Don't you not, do you not yet know that your refusal is destroying Mitzrayim? Eventually, even Pyro himself is forced to admit what a failure he had become. Hashem is righteous and I and my people are evil. Yet even after this admission, he continues to backtrack. His about-faces by now are becoming ridiculously pathetic. Digging deeper into the Mako story, we see more evidence of Pyro's absurd attempt to project strength and stability. After all, the Egyptian livestock is wiped out by Makastavra, the plague of pestilence. Pyro investigates whether some livestock of B'nai Yisrael has also been har- have also been harmed. What is he looking to find? It is not a new observation that this plague, which affected only the Egyptian livestock, points to the precision that only the one true God, Hashem, can achieve in his miracle working. What we want to do here, rather, is to enter the psyche of Pyro to see how Hashem is messing with his mind, to see what effect this is having, on a heretofore invincible ruler suddenly confronted with his own vulnerability. Pyro is grasping at straws here, feebly groping for a redeeming combat. He's looking frantically for a divine misfire 
that would repudiate the power of the plague and allow him to claw his way back to the top. Moshe's in on Hashem's game here. Notice how he plays on Paro's need to sow strength, goading him with the challenge. And the following Pasuk as explained by Rashi. Hispara Lila Masaratir. Try to glorify yourself by stumping me as per when exactly my prayer can take effect by removing the frogs. The pieces on the board may have changed from livestock to frogs, frogs but the point is the same. Total precision is only in Hashem's will. And Paro is reduced to a fruitless quest to find some vestige of power. This pattern of reducing Paro to a preposterous, pitiable state continues throughout the Makos and reaches its crescendo at Makos Bechoros when he loses all pomp and dignity. Notice the following two revealing references, Pesukim as explained by Rashi. Paro rose in the middle of the night, unlike the habits of kings who sleep late into the morning. He called out for Moshe and Aaron. This means he himself had to venture door to door looking for them. And finally, in the moment of reckoning, he wretchedly surrenders and recants all of his previous positions in the following Pasuk as explained by Rashi. Get up and leave my people just as you said, not as I said in any of my proposals. They are all rendered null and void. Take a step back now and see the breathtaking panorama before us. The pieces of the story are all there. By weaving them together as a cohesive tapestry, we show that Hashem's precision is not only crystal clear in the execution of the Makos, but in his manipulation of Paro as well. He plays Paro like a fiddle. Hashem's push-me-pull-me effect on Paro's mind and invincibility is spot-on and results in Paro's great chagrin and the ultimate unmasking of his power. This entire drama we have, we have traced, we have just traced, emanates from the original Pasuk we quoted in the beginning of our parsha. So that you will tell your children how I mocked Mitzrayim. While ridiculing an opponent is generally not condoned for the purpose of denying idolatry, it is appropriate. The idolatry here is the deification of evil as represented by Paru that elevates it to the status of an independent force. When that source of evil is exposed as a powerless bully, the effect on the onlookers is decisive and compelling. The oneness of Hashem is revealed even to the bully himself by dispelling the fallacy of any opposing power.